You know, there is nothing quite like um, having a task um, and and seeing it finished, seeing it completed. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I've always, I shouldn't say always, that's one of the reasons I often enjoy mowing because when you start out, you can see that it needs done, and then shortly thereafter, depending on how big your yard is and how large your lawnmower is, it looks inc- incredible. It looks so much nicer, and you can, in a short amount of time, see the improvement that has been made. Now, not every task is like that. Not every um, job do you see the improvement so quickly. Um, sometimes you have a list of things that you want to get accomplished, and you don't see any of those getting done. And that can be quite frustrating of, man, I had all these things I wanted to do today, and what I got stuck doing was something that I didn't even have in mind. And, and that can be frustrating. So there's nothing like finishing or completing a task and seeing, seeing this is done, it's, it's finished. Um, maybe you have, maybe you enjoy putting together puzzles. If they're small puzzles, I don't, I don't mind, but large puzzles, man, I get bored with them really quick. But have you ever done a puzzle and you get to the end and you're missing one piece? And you think, we did all this puzzle and we got here and now it's not finished. Now, you could have a thousand piece puzzle, but you're still upset because you're missing one piece. You're not saying, well, at least we have the rest of them. No, because we wanted to see this finished product. So let's look in Colossians chapter 2. We'll begin reading in verse 1. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of of all principality and powers. Let's pray. Lord, as we open up your word this morning, we ask that your spirit would be our guide. Lord, we in and of ourselves cannot properly uh, apply, cannot fully understand your word. And I thank you that you have given your spirit to help guide us in this. Lord, I thank you for your word that it is true. I thank you that we are able to open up copies of it and that we can read it for ourselves. Lord, I ask that uh, you would direct everything that I say this morning, 
that it would be pleasing in your sight and that through our time together that our view of you uh, would be strengthened. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Here in chapter 2, we want to, uh, we're going to be focusing mainly on verse 10 where he says, but you are complete in him. Um, and, and the title is, Is It Enough? Now, focusing on you are complete in him. But before we get into that, we want to do just a little bit of background of, since we just uh, opened up this book, a little background on the book of Colossians. And uh, Paul wrote the letter to the church of Colossae. And the church there was probably started by a man by the name of Epaphras. Uh, he came to know Christ uh, through Paul's teaching in Ephesus. And Paul had never been to this church. Uh, he had never visited the Colossians. Um, and Epaphras had, had come to see Paul. And this letter was written back to the church. And it was written during the time that, that Paul was... Um, under house arrest in Rome. Now, not only was Epaphras coming to see to see Paul and to greet him, but he was really coming because he was worried about what was going on in the church. He was seeing how there were were things coming into the church. This was uh, a church of new believers, as I mentioned. Paul had never been there, and so he was worried about the church about. Uh, different beliefs coming into it and what was happening. And, and so he came to Paul, and this is Paul's letter back to the church of warning the church, of encouraging the church. And so here in chapter 2, we see, we see part of that. And so that hopefully will help us a little bit in our understanding of, okay, what is Paul's, what is Paul's mission here? So Paul was warning them, um, beware of of counterfeit. Beware of counterfeits and focus solely on Christ. So beware of things that are coming in that maybe, hey, maybe they sound good, but they are drawing you away from Christ. Now, does anybody here know anything about making counterfeit money? You won't acknowledge if you do. No, I'm just kidding. Anybody here know anything about counterfeit money? Okay, well, I've read and I've heard that uh, in order to find counterfeits, what do people do? They study the real thing. So this morning, I uh, actually this weekend, I, I went to the to bank and got a loan so I could have an illustration here this morning. This is, as far as I know, it'd be news to me if it wasn't real. This is a $100 bill. Now, they have done things in this bill to help spot and help make it more difficult to uh, counterfeit money. Um, Some of the things that they've done is uh, this strip in the middle. If you put it under a UV light, it changes color. It turns pink. Now, I'm guessing that's really hard uh, to to copy. Um, I have enough trouble just copying documents that I want and printing them out here. it changes color. So that's, that's one thing. You probably all are aware of if you hold it up into the light, you can see, you can see the, uh, Franklin's face. Um, I, I saw one, one thing that they had, uh, 
counterfeits had done is they had taken like a $20 bill, and so it was the same paper, but then they had printed it so that it looked like a hundred. So when you held it up to the, the light, it was the wrong president's face in the little window. And I'm like, I would have never thought of that. So that, that's another safety feature that they put on this. So you can spot a phony. Um, there's also things in here called micro printing, which we don't have a microscope to look at it, but there's words printed down here, tiny, um, that then they can check to make sure Jason's seeing if I'm if I'm being honest this morning. The microprinting, another safety feature. Um, they also use a special type of ink on the bell here so that when you move it around, it changes from bronze to green. Now, these are a couple of safety features so that people are able to spot, especially businesses, are able to spot a fake. Because if you get stuck with a phony dollar, you're, you're stuck with that money. So businesses do not want to. So Paul was coming and he was saying, I want you to examine the real thing. I want you to examine Christ, focus on him. And as you do that, the counterfeit or the fakes will be easy to spot. Well, there were a couple of uh, beliefs. There were a couple of strong things going on at the church at Colossae um, that were trying to draw people away. One of them was uh, there was a group, uh, group of they were Gnostics and they were their whole mission was uh, for deeper wisdom and deeper knowledge. And they just dedicated themselves to uh, becoming wiser and, and having more knowledge And so they were teaching that, yes, they believed in Christ, but it was Christ with knowledge. So they were trying to take Christ and add him on to their own beliefs, Christ with knowledge. There were also those uh, who were teaching that, yes, we believe in Christ, but we also are holding to uh, all the laws and rituals and We believe in Christ for salvation, but you have to do all these laws in order to have salvation. So they were, it was all about legalism. You had to keep uh, all these laws. If you really get down to it, you can say you believe in Christ, but if he is not all, then you're not really trusting in him fully. You're trusting in your works. Well, then there were also mystics. And, and they were going about teaching and adding Christ, but it was about the worship of angels and spirits. And so you can see Epaphras was worried about this at the church because all these beliefs, there was a group that was teaching, yes, but you need more knowledge. Yes, but you need to keep all these rules. Yes, but you, uh, we need to add in the worship of angels and all these spirits. So they were trying to corrupt, they were trying to add on Christ to their own beliefs. But then there was also a group of, and they were called the Essians, and they, they believed that you came to spiritual growth by self-denial and hyper self-discipline. So what they would really go about doing is they would actually torture themselves because they thought the more that they suffered, 
the more pleasing that they would be in God's sight. Um, I heard and, and read that they actually would put like shards of glass in their clothing so that as they walked, it would, it would cut their body and cause them, cause them great pain. And I can see on your face, you're thinking the same thing I did of what, why, what, how could you come up with this? But they thought that the more that we suffered, the more pleasing that we would be in God's eyes. So you, you get the sense that of why Epaphras was worried about the church. There were all these things that were, were starting to come in, and, and he went back to Paul, uh, and Paul wrote this letter to the church. Now, Paul did not take the time to, okay, let me, let me cover this area, and I'm going to just slam this group of people. No, what he did is he said, let's get back to the truth. Let's get back to Christ, and as you do that, you will notice, you will see the imposter. So all these groups were looking to something besides Christ to satisfy. They were looking to something besides Christ to satisfy. But if you look back in verse verse 8, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So he's saying, in Christ dwells all the fullness of God. Uh, There was a belief going about at that time as well that Jesus was a lesser of God. He was, he was part God, but he was a lesser of God. And Paul says, no, in Jesus dwells all the fullness, not part of it, all the fullness of the Godhead. But then think about this in verse 10. So in verse 9, he says, in Jesus dwells all the fullness of God. He is entirely God. It's not he's a lesser of the gods. He's a smaller God. In verse 10, he says, and you are complete in him. Or you are made whole in him. I want to uh, quickly look, uh, share with you of things that don't bring completion. Don't bring satisfaction. Um, the, the wholeness could also be translated uh, bringing satisfaction, bringing wholeness, bringing completion. The example we want to look at is of King Solomon. You're probably familiar with King Solomon. And in Ecclesiastes, we, uh, we see his life. He is sharing what he has learned through his life, what he, what through many difficulties, has learned what has not satisfied and he started out by, uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 13, it said, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. He really sought after, I'm going to seek after wisdom, and I'm going to know it, and I'm going to chase after that with all my heart. But then later on he said, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and, 
and to know madness and folly. And I perceived that this also was but striving after the wind. So what did he say? He said, I sought after wisdom to bring satisfaction, to bring completeness, to bring wholeness. But as I did, I discovered that it was like trying to grasp the wind. It's impossible. So he sought after wisdom, but then after that, he didn't, in his wisdom, he didn't seek after God. In chapter 2 and verse 1 of Ecclesiastes, he said, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. So he sought after pleasure. And really with the, with the wealth that he had and everything at his fingertips, he had unlimited pleasure. He could purchase anything he want. He could do anything he want. But what was his conclusion after that? He said, vanity of vanities. So even in that, in seeking after pleasure, he said, even that is vain. It doesn't satisfy. So he went on and he said, I'm going to, I'm going to build great things. And he sought to find satisfaction in accomplishing. Now think, in your life, maybe you have not done it to the scale that Solomon has. But are there times where you have sought after knowledge to, to say, oh, look where I have gotten. Or you've sought things to satisfy. You've sought pleasures to satisfy instead of Christ. Or you've sought after accomplishments. I'm going to really dedicate myself so that I can be the best at this. Now, it is good to try to do your best in everything. But are we doing it for God's honor and glory? Well, then... He said, even that is vanity. And he went on and he tried wealth. And he discovered that that was vain. And he went on and he tried women. What did he have? 700 wives? He's, nope, that didn't bring satisfaction. He sought after work. But in all of that, he did not find that which brought completeness. He was seeking after that which was created instead of seeking after the creator. So many times we, just like Solomon, are seeking after those same things. Maybe not to the extent, probably not to the extent of Solomon. But in seeking after something else, instead of seeking after him, who offers completeness. Completeness is not found in your church, but it is found in him. It is not found in certain doctrines, but it is found in Jesus Christ. It is not found in your feelings. Well, today I feel complete. Well, tomorrow you probably won't. No, it is found only in him. It's not found in your experiences, in your works, in your devotion, in your faith. Completion is only found in him. Verse 9, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, and you are complete in him. Think about that. As someone who has rebelled against God, 
we can come to the point that after receiving him, you are complete. You are made whole in him. Complete in him. We are complete in him for salvation. In Colossians 1 and verse 19, it says, For it pleased the Father that in him, in Jesus, all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. We are complete in him in salvation. Before salvation, we were enemies of God. We were in rebellion to him. But because of the work on the cross of Jesus, we are restored or we are made whole. In John 19 and verse 30. When Jesus was on the cross, what was he? What was it that he said? He said, it is finished. It is complete. It is done. It is finished. You no longer have to work for anything. Not that it accomplished anything. You, it is not up to you to try to earn a right standing before God. You can't do it. It is not up to you to try to earn forgiveness. If you look at other religions, you see how many of them teach that you have to do something. You have to earn forgiveness from God. But in Christ, we find forgiveness. We find completion in him. Christ is the only one who can make you complete. Apart from him, it is emptiness, it is vain, and so in him we find completion for salvation. So you see how Paul is bringing them back. Hey, come back to the basics. Salvation is in Christ. It's not Christ and knowledge. It's not Christ and suffering, even if you're bringing the suffering on yourself. It's not Christ and these other things. It is only Christ. He is sufficient. He is all that you need. He is more than enough. Um, the, ver- the songs that we sang um, talked about being satisfied. And then the last one we sang, complete in thee, no work of mine. It wasn't my doing. It wasn't your doing. It was the work of Christ on the cross that we can say that we are made whole in him. So we find... Co- That we are complete in him for salvation, but we're complete in him unto good works. Um, If you turn over to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. So we are his workmanship created For what? For good works. So this is not so that you can sit here today and say, Lord, thank you that I am complete in you. I'm going to sit here and, oh, oh, thank you. I'm so happy that I can sit here and I'm 
Yes, you should give thanks for your salvation, but God saved you so that you could show that you are saved, so that you could show that you are a child of his, so that others can see you, man, that person, I don't know what happened to them, but it is like they are complete now. Um, they were only a part of who they who they were now, man, look at that person. Look at the look at the good works that they're doing. Before it was all about them, and now they're living with a higher purpose. So we are complete in him unto good works, and we are complete in him with a purpose. God has a purpose for each and every one of us. And the thing is that is so that is so neat is that each one of us God has given different a different purpose. He has gifted you differently. Um, just look within your own families. Look with uh, some of your relatives. I'm sure none of you are exactly the same. You, God has gifted you differently for his honor and glory. So that as you find completeness in him, as you find your satisfaction in him, not in something else, in him, he desires to take that uniqueness and use it for him. A verse that, that I really love. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. I love that verse because it's, it brings it back to the, to the basics of um, every one of us on a day, day by day probably are eating and drinking. I'm just assuming we probably all have eaten something today, or at least we're planning to in the near future. And he says, even to the basic things of eating and drinking, do it to the glory of God. So it doesn't matter if you're washing dishes. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Do it to the glory of God. Look in verse 6 of Colossians chapter 2. He has designed us with a purpose, and he says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. He doesn't say, so run in him. No, he says, so walk in him. It is step by step that he, as we are complete in him, guides our purpose, guides our actions. So, Instead of you choosing to use your time for however brings you pleasure, you say, I'm going to use my time and I'm going to walk with him in this. I'm going to use this. What I'm, what I'm thinking about instead of, hmm, what do I, what, just letting your mind go wherever it wants, you say, you know what? In Christ is everything. I'm going to let him control it. Now, is that easy? No, it takes work. But in Christ is completeness. We do not do this to earn completeness. We don't have to try to earn it, but because we are complete in him. So we don't have to do all these rules because, well, I need to earn this in Christ. No, we need to do this because I already am made complete in him. But then two other things, we are complete in him for the future. Even the present future. Does that make sense? Present future. No, it doesn't make sense. It's present and it's future. 
What I mean by that is right now, not looking toward heaven, but in this life. He has made me complete in this life. So that means I don't have to worry about the upcoming election. That doesn't mean I sit and do nothing. No, I'm still involved, but I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to fret because I know that rejoice, the Lord is king. I know that he is king and my my completeness, my satisfaction, my wholeness does not come from who our president is. It comes from who my king is. And so I don't have to worry about that. I'm involved in it. I'm doing my job, but I'm looking only to him. In 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Sadly, how many times do we as Christians live controlled by the spirit of fear because we are looking to something else to satisfy other than God? So we look to him for the future, not, not only for right now in this life, but then we can look, look to him and know that one day, yes, we can be made whole in this life, but we know that we are not perfect. Uh, there is a battle going on and that one day we can look to the fact that we will be made completely perfect in him in heaven. But we can also look to the fact that we are complete in him and that we no longer need to fear death. Christ has conquered the grave and that now we can trust him even in the most frightening thing generally of fearing death, that we can trust him in that. Lastly, we are complete in him with thanksgiving. As a follower of Christ, we should be the most thankful people alive. We should be the most thankful people alive. We have been redeemed. We have been made whole. We should not be going around with sour looks on our faces. We should be giving thanks constantly to God. But sadly, this is very often not the case. Ask those that have worked in restaurants or uh, talk to somebody that has worked in uh, maybe in grocery. They say the worst day is Sundays because that's when all the Christians come in. That, that should make us ashamed right there. We should be the most thankful people. We have gone from being an enemy of God to knowing his forgiveness. So as a Christian... What could ever steal your joy? Nothing can ever take your joy, but you can give it up. When we are not seeking Christ only, we can lose our joy. But as I seek him and as Paul reminds them, you are made complete in Christ. So don't be seeking after all these other things. Don't be running here and running there. Focus on what really counts. Get back to what is true. So can you today say, Christ is enough for me? Can you say, I don't need all this other stuff. If all I had this morning was Christ, that would be enough. Or have you been running here and there and seeking for other things to satisfy? Seeking the created to satisfy instead of the one that created it all. Let's pray. Lord, what 
an awesome privilege to be able to read this verse and say that we are complete in you. Lord, you loved us with a love that we may never fully understand. Uh, Lord, help us that we would we would see what you have done in our lives and that it would cause us to be constantly filled with joy. As a follower of you, Lord, there should be nothing that should that should uh, cause us to grumble and complain and and take it out on others. But we have the creator of the universe as our father. Why should we fear? Lord, I pray for we as believers today that we would seek after you. We wouldn't seek uh, in in anything else, uh, that we wouldn't be controlled by fear, but that we would seek you only, knowing that truly only in you do we find satisfaction. Lord, we desire to live for you. We desire to show others your greatness. Thank you for giving your spirit to help us to do that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm just going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. What I want us to do this morning is I just want us to take a moment and just go before God. We're just uh, going to take a second, and I want you just to go before God and start out by, if you are a child of God, and I pray that you are, that you know his forgiveness, start out by giving thanks to him. We're saying, thank you, Lord, for taking me, even in my rebellion, and forgiving me and making me complete. And then I encourage you just to go before him and ask you and ask him that, that he would guide you in seeking after him. that you wouldn't run to other things.